welcome to Tarot for the Wild Soul Deep Conversations in Tarot Medicine for your highest evolution. I am your host, Lindsay Mack. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, what a joy. It's just me today. It's just you and me. Um, <laughs> I'm very happy to be here today. I have a spring in my step. It feels great. Venus is in Scorpio and I am alive in this energy. I love. Um, this is a fun fact about LM, me. I love when Venus is in Scorpio. My body loves it. My mind loves it. Everything feels great. Um, not to say I don't have days, but I do love this transit and I'm really enjoying this month, even though, you know, the Scorpio season is no, uh, it's no fucking joke. <clears throat> so, I'm feeling that. Hope everyone else is too in a nice way. Very intense feels. Um, just a gentle word to anyone who might be... Actually, I'm going to... First of all, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> welcome to the podcast. We're going to be talking today about the major arcana through the lens of the three lines. Uh, the lifeline, the death line, the rebirth line. Uh, th I'm going to sort of talk about it in a very abstract sense so that you can walk away with a greater depth in the in the flavor of the bird's eye view of the three lines. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. When I'm in a cycle of my life, when I like to get to, when I like to put down greater roots to kind of where my soul is in my evolution, I work with this idea, so I, I pass it on to you. And um, there's going to be like a tiny little parlay into how this might be helpful in your work with the new moon in Scorpio uh, on Saturday, on the 18th, I believe, yes? Yep, on the 18th. So uh, yeah, that's what we're going to be talking about today. But back to Venus and Scorpio. Um, I don't know why I feel called to share. It's been a very strong transit for me. I'm a Venus and Aries, and uh, I do, I'm very Plutonian, so I do feel the Scorpio energies really powerfully. But uh, this one is really great. It's pretty much being felt across the board. And so what I kind of want to offer is something that I've heard, uh, you know, I'm experiencing my own sort of very oddly, like, um, uh, what is the word that I'm looking for? Um, subconscious slash subterranean slash esoteric way. But I've had a lot of people, um, as everyone knows, I see lots of clients and uh, I've had a lot of people come in this past week and really dive into this idea that themes of really strong obsession are coming up for them or themes of desiring someone that um, we didn't for a really long time and now they're back again or having an old kind of ex or ex um, or like an old uh, um kind of flame or crush or whatever, just kind of come back into the scene. But something that's been coming up a lot to the point that I simply feel moved to discuss it publicly is um, like, I'm no fewer than five times. <laughs> and I'm going through this in my own way in a little bit of a different um, arena. But this idea of connection with past life people who we've been lovers with in a past lifetime, but we're not lovers with in this lifetime no fewer than five people have discussed this with me this week alone. Uh, I've, in my work with that, um, many astrologers, I'm sure, have sort of touched on this. I'm 
like highly amateur in that area, but um, I just want to say that if you are moving through this, anything relating from kind of like old, deep subterranean desires or the kind of the shadow of desire, like any jealousy, obsession, whatever that's been coming up, it's really important to work with that, um, work with those emotions and give them a place to go. So one great place to go with it is masturbating or sex. If that's a part of your practice, if you, or in the the flow of your life, some people don't, some people are not available for that. They're asexual. They're not part, you know, whatever it is, um, moving through trauma. If that might, if that is your, um, life experience. I really honor that. There's a different way, of course, but anything kind of that physically roots us to activity, to motion, to movement of the body, to kind of exorcism of these experiences in a somatic way, it's really a a funky time because there's a lot of really intense feelings. There's a lot of, um, kind of sexual desire. There's a lot of desire. There's a lot of craving and a lot of just like lustiness. And, um, there's a lot of anger and there's a lot of obsession and a lot of jealousy and a lot of room to kind of do some crazy shit. And so first thing we want to bring no judgment to that judgment doesn't belong at the table with those experiences. They're all teachers And one of the most powerful, important, one of the greatest privileges of being a human being is to hold those energies, even if they're particularly wild, and really learn that all they really want to do is to be witnessed and seen. And if you're feeling a little bit like you don't quite, you don't kind of really know what to do with them, I recommend, this is like anyone could have told this audience this, but I really recommend talking about it. Um... I'm going through like my own Venus and Scorpio time, not particularly with like sexual desire, but with other things. And I'm really, um, I'm finding a lot of medicine in talking about it, um, to really trusting ears and a lot of medicine in, um, absolutely not picking up the invitation from judgment around any of it. Um, because I can't explore it if I'm judging it. If I'm making war with it, I'm not available to listen. So I'm finding a lot of power and a lot of healing actually in sinking down into my primal self, which is at the bottom of all of this. Um, And I think there's something really powerful to uncovering that just as we're cresting into the height of um, Scorpio season, like we're sort of almost out of it. And um, this is a heavy, this is a heavier point, this sort of, um, you know, early to mid-November point. And um, there's something really powerful to me about the gateway between the Vasawan and the winter equinox that really gives us a chance to confront and work with all of these powerful raw energies to be able to actually shed what's not serving. And it's not the shadow that doesn't always serve, but often our judgment around it. So I encourage 
<clears throat> people to be physical with it, to masturbate, to orgasm, to have sex, if that is, again, a part of your flow, any of that. Um, some people don't orgasm. Some people can't. That's absolutely, um, you know, not meant to be a limitation. Uh, exercise, running, yoga, screaming, singing. Oh my God, the medicine of any moment that is not, that feels funky or stuck or too big. Um, Stephen Sondheim said, and I'm paraphrasing that when an emotion is too big to be spoken, we have to sing it. That was his criteria of writing music. We can do the same thing with Venus and Scorpio energy. <laughs> so if anybody is moving through that, I encourage you to really put it in your body, let it come. And of obviously, of course, dancing. Um, I've really been moving through that. This is a sensual time. Not, I, I can't say I'm particularly connected to the sensuality of it. Like, Oh, I'm feeling this, but just, just the senses, the body, the physicality of it. Um, I'm really, really dropped in finding a lot of, um, a lot of good medicine in that. So if that helps you, uh, I share it because when things come up in tandem with my clients, they're always there for me too. And I find that they're a reflection of the collective at large. So whomever that helps, great. Um, <clears throat> yeah. And I'm, you know, this podcast gets more and more and more listeners <laughs> every week, which is incredible. Um, so anybody who's new, um, this is a podcast about tarot and also sort of not about tarot. It's tarot for the wild soul. So essentially what we're doing through conversations, interviews with people and through, um, these kinds of things, lessons through the monthly medicine episodes, <clears throat> excuse me, essentially what we're doing, what I intend to do is to bring light to how we can view tarot in the fabric of our daily lives. So this is not a podcast where you're going to hear kind of a traditional lesson and a breakdown on like the Wheel of Fortune. You might, but it's usually going to serve in a larger context. Um, this is a podcast about, again, the infusion of tarot into life. So um, it's meant to be irreverent. It's me doing me. And... Um, the tarot that comes up in it. Um, if you're kind of looking for straight cut tarot or like for all of it to be tarot, this may not be your podcast, but if you're open to what it's actually described as, and this description's all over the podcast, uh, you may love it. So if you're here and you're new, welcome. And, uh, you'll hear some tarot, but it'll be kind of in the service of a larger narrative. And, um, if you don't like that, there are lots of tarot podcasts that are just all tarot and that will be perfect for you. But I'm happy for everyone who's here. So again, I'm sorry. I'm having a throat thing. In fact, I'm going to have a sip of water. So we are in Scorpio season. We are moving transiting right now to winter. This is the death time. There's really no kind of, at least for me, no seasonal shift that's more pronounced reminds me more of how embedded we are as a collective in the fabric of this larger web and this larger wheel that's always turning. And um, I find it so healing 
as a human being moving through my own cycles of healing and trauma, just like everybody else, there's so much in the overculture and so much in the nervous system and the brain that wants us to think that everything is a straight line, that we're either going forward or backward or that we're in a circle. And in truth, it's all a spiral. And we need only to look outside to be reminded of that. We can look outside if we're anywhere in the middle of a city, in the country, anywhere in the world. There's something so powerful. And of course, I apologize for this. We are moving through winter on this side of the hemisphere. Anything I say about this can be translated into summer. It's absolutely the same portal, but I honor the fact that sometimes we're a little hemisphere selfish over here. At least I'll speak for myself. I am. Um, so the folks on the other side of the world who are moving into the blooming of summer right now, it's the same thing that death and rebirth all move from the same veil. So I share this because I'm going to be talking about life, death, life cycles today. And part of that is important because we're, we're always moving through one. And if you're in a point in your life where something's happening and you don't quite know what it is or what it might be or what you're moving through. It can be particularly powerful to look at it if you're having a little bit of a hard time moving through that inquiry just inside your mind. This lesson today will offer, I hope and I think, a very empowering new way to consider at any moment where we are on our particular wheel of life, death, life, where we happen to be. So there's two ways we can do that, which I will discuss. But first, I'm going to drop into this idea of there being three lines in the major arcana. So first of all, for people who don't know what the major arcana is, the major arcana are the 22 cards comprised of the fool, as card zero to the world as card 21. We have 22 because we count the fool, even though it's zero. Um, and the major arcana are our macrocosm. That's my word for it. The majors are the macrocosm. So when we move through a major, it's the same thing as moving through any large scale event that is happening, but we might not feel in real time. For example, if, hmm, well, when the president got elected last year, uh, you might have celebrated, you might have been um, in profound grief and mourning and outrage, you might have been numb, you might have been shocked, you probably still brushed your teeth though, you might have gone to work, some people didn't. You might have, and probably did if you had children, have moved through that day feeding your child, taking care of your child. When we talk about macrocosmic energies, that's what we're talking about. The election of a president is a macrocosmic energy in which an umbrella, in which we're still doing small-scale things under it. Um, that's not to... Uh, maximize or delegitimize its importance, like major arcanas are hugely important, but we might not feel them 
in the day-to-day. That's really where the minors come up. The minors are, we're not going to talk about the minor arcana today, but the minors, just for scale, are kind of the microcosm. And the minors have to do with the earthly shit. Uh, Our thoughts, our feelings, our beliefs, our experiences, hands in dirt, getting dirty, purposely skinning our knees, figuring stuff out, working through things. It represents the human doing, the minutia, the microcosmic energies. And those are the moments when we brush our teeth, we take care of our children, we wait for our food to grow, we wait for the sun to come up, we long for someone, we don't, like, you know, we feel impatient, we feel excited. All those things are reflecting off of the macrocosmic energy, but are happening sometimes in spite of or along with. And that's how we want to consider that. Uh, But we're going to put that gently aside today and go back to the majors. So there are 22 major arcana cards. When we consider the three lines of the majors, we disinclude the fool. This is a theory that has been sort of um, uh, looked at with... with, um, some real interest by Rachel Pollock, who wrote Tarot Wisdom and 28 Degrees of Wisdom. Wow. 78 Degrees of Wisdom. Sorry. It's like 10 o'clock here. I definitely know what that book is called. Sorry. Um, I'm on a roll. So Rachel Pollock wrote these two books, and she talks quite a bit in Tarot Wisdom about the three lines. And um, the concept of it is essentially that you remove the fool from the 22 and I'll talk about why that is in a moment. And then you have a block of three sets of seven. And by the way, you don't need to be in front of your deck to do this. You can go back and look at this anytime. I also talk about this a little bit on my Instagram. So if you scroll down and you kind of take your time finding it, you will figure out what I'm talking about. But essentially we have three blocks of seven cards, um, three little rows of seven, and then the fool underneath it. And the first set of seven goes from magician to the chariot. The second set goes from strength or justice, depending on how you roll, to temperance. And the third line goes from the devil to the world. And the fool is like the golden sacred thread that runs through all of them. The fool is the breath of consciousness and it's the soul, period. The fool is the heartbeat of the soul and the golden thread of evolution the end. The fool is the part of us. It's the reason I say it's the soul is because everything kind of in the human realm wants to keep it safer. It would rather like if we're, if we got a good thing, let's not rock it around. The fool is the thing that moves us from temperance to the devil. The fool is the thing that moves us from the empress to the emperor. The fool is the thing that moves us from the tower to the star. So there's just a constant heartbeat of movement and growth. And when we look at, again, the majors in this larger picture, and we see the fool as this kind of beautiful evolutionary heartbeat, this thread that runs us from one to another, to another, to another, from line to line to line, it um, is a beautiful picture of how we as human beings move through this. It's like really seeing our evolution from the bird's eye view. And that's what the majors are all about. 
our soul's highest evolution. And like things that evolve us, because one of the main ingredients in evolution is stress, by the way, and how we respond to it, how we flower, rather than get stuck in the mud. The fool and the way that we can look at the three lines as being allies for this growth, the majors are stressful sometimes. No one loves the tower. I mean, I love the tower and, and I know some people do too, but uh, I don't like love it, love it. <laughs> It's not like I'm, I want it. If it's here, I appreciate what it does. But, um, you know, it's like uh, bitter. You know, bitter is not my favorite taste. So um, you may feel that way about the sun. Whatever, you know, is hard is bringing a medicine. It's helping us evolve. So all that to say that the way that majors really work energetically is that we don't get to choose. We're not like, Hey, I, I, I want to, I'm calling in high priestess. It's like, that's great. But really high priestess comes for you. High priestess comes for us. We're, we're in whatever we're in. Um, it's already here. We can either lay back and let the currents take us, or we can sort of fight it and wish that we were in a different river. But, um, if we're looking at this as a metaphor for life, it, brings a lot of ease and grace to be able to say like, okay, this is the river I'm in. What is the choice here between kind of getting up and moving out of the river or not? And sometimes the movement out of the river is the very thing that the major is helping us do anyway. So there's a lot of power there. But how we want to look at the three lines is the first line from the major to, or the first line from the magician to the chariot is life. It's birth. And we'll talk about why that is. The second line from strength slash justice to temperance is death. This is the death line. The third line from the devil to the world is rebirth, period. We're literally reborn as different people at the end of it. And then we move into a whole different cycle, um, you know, again, when we reach the end of it. So wherever we are in our lives, we're doing great. We're doing terribly. We hate where we are. We love where we are. We're clear about where we're going. We have no fucking clue. This is a tool considering the three lines of the major arcana and how the fool fits into it and where we happen to be in each line. Being able to reflect back on this idea of it being translated into the idea of life, death, life is one of the most empowering tools that we can absolutely give ourselves with the tarot. And it's particularly helpful in moments when we're not quite sure where we are on our journey of life and where we are in our journey of growth and evolution. And we can reflect back on this anytime we want to, if we just pull out these 22 cards. It's a very powerful practice. This idea of parlaying it into the idea of life, death, life is my teaching. So if you read Rachel Pollock, you won't get that. But she has some very interesting ideas. And of course, I got this concept of splitting the deck up into these three lines from her. So of course, we always reference where we got things from. But this idea of life, death, life is um, just what my guide shared with me. So I'll share with you. The first line... If we're looking at this line, let's just talk rider weight. 
So if you've never looked at a deck before, if you don't have a deck, or if you're like just chilling or driving, just let my voice take you on a journey. <laughs> the line one is the lifeline. Line one is the birth line. This is where we start. If we look at kind of all the archetypes in line one, they all look the same. It's very homogenous other than the, the lovers, which vertically, actually, if you pull out your, um, the vertical lines tell a story as well. We're just going to be talking about the horizontals today. But if you look at the vertical line of the, um, of the um, second to last line, uh, it's quite interesting, the story that it tells. And that's the only one that's not homogenous in the line, but it's not really homogenous across the board. But if we look at line one from the magician to the chariot, we see something very interesting. We see characters who are all in the forefront. We see names of cards that are all about titles or identity. And that's exactly what line one is about. It's about identity ego, our kind of titles, who we think we are, our labels, what we mean to ourselves, what we're doing in this world. It's all us first. And by the way, that isn't a problem. It's crucial. We need to have that in our lives, <laughs> like to be able to have a sense of self and know who we are. So line one, the kind of, um, I have these little mantras that came to me for each line and line one to me is the term I am. That's the term for it is the term I am. And the reason that we say I am is because there's something very powerful about this that we're saying, I am the magician, I am a high priestess, I am an empress, an emperor, a hierophant, a lover. The only one that switches in uh, kind of line with that is the chariot, because we're not talking about the charioteer, we're talking about the chariot, the vehicle that the chariot is in. But this is where everything changes, and we start moving into line two. So this is the line, line one, of life. This is around... In terms of human development, we're talking about roughly one year old to 18 years old. This is birth to college graduation. This is the idea. Um, when we think about that time in our lives, at least over culturally, not everyone shares this experience, of course, but we're thinking about what we want to do when we grow up, who we think we are, what we want to be. Children do this, high schoolers do this, middle schoolers do this, and adults do this who are really committed to this idea um, this is the frequency and the consciousness of like cities as well. Um, I am this, this is my name. This is catchy. This is cool. Like it's very much a New York city line and LA line. Uh, of course not everywhere, but, uh, it's definitely the invitation. So this is the line of personal inquiry. We're dropping into ourselves, who we are, who we think we are, structure, order, Everything looks kind of the same. It's us first. And we're looking at egoic identification. It's really important. And again, I feel like some people may take this and all of a sudden think that line one or the cards in line one are somehow lesser than or like a little bit low vibe. Not at all. It is really important to do this work in order to shed it and realize that we're so much more. Um, 
three years ago when I was healing from a breakdown and moving through my own work with my own identification, like I didn't have any idea that I was truly an intuitive. Even back then, I didn't understand for many reasons that I was an intuitive one because I was so traumatized that I couldn't hear anything for most of my life. I didn't know what it was to be hearing divine or guides all the time, literally through my body, through that subtle voice until my brain chemistry was a little bit healed and calmed. Three years ago, even though I was 30 years old, I was going through line one because I needed to know like, what was it to be the fool, the magician to feel my power. These are really pure cards, totally pure, but some people, it's just important to understand, never move past this line, which we'll talk about in a moment. But we see visually, like at least in the Rider weight, that these cards are fairly homogenous looking, as I said. It's human beings in the forefront. That's our first clue that this is sort of our first foray rather than our third. Um, all labeling themselves by their titles and identities. And in this line, our invitation is to embody ourselves, to discover ourselves. This is the line where we explore where we connect. It's very important and very sacred. It's what everyone wishes they had as a kid. If we weren't given the space to play, to figure out who we were, to experiment, to dye our hair, to be our sexuality without judgment, there will have to be this reparenting later in life. And this is line one of the tarot. Um, it's really a time to come into our own. I am very important without it. It's flimsy down the road. So there's got to be a real commitment. So when we think about line one and where we are in line one, if we're in line one, it's really powerful to reflect on these questions. What is my role in the world? What do I define myself as? What do I find comfort archetypally in identification with? Important questions again. So this idea of line one is the lifeline. It's the line when life starts. It's kind of springtime. It's spring to summer, so to speak, I guess. Um, springish, summerish, <laughs> something like that. Um, it's like March to the summer solstice, I guess, that we're really moving through these beautiful questions and these considerations of ourselves. And this is the springtime line. It's the burst of the bud. It's beauty. It's messy. It's delicious. It's fresh. And then we get to the chariot. And again, the fool is kind of moving us through this whole line. Then we get to the chariot and we have a reckoning here because the chariot is beautiful, but ultimately, if we really look at it, it's not truly designed to get us very far. So then we have to go back and we have to think about what it is that we want. Would we prefer to stay in kind of a shell, a little cradle or a box that feels like it's beautiful, but isn't ultimately going to carry us into the realm of the moon or into the realm of the tower. Um, we have a choice here in line one, and this is how we evolve. 
every single person listening to this has had a choice at some point in their life to stay in the chariot or leave. And some people have chosen to leave and some people have not. And that's cool. Everyone listening to this knows someone who never left the chariot. Everybody. I know there are people in my family who never left the chariot, period. If it looks good, that's enough. That's a very common thing, especially with older generations. So when we think about line one, it's kind of similar um, to this idea of not holding on to anything. So to look at the medicine of line one in terms of a parallel to life for us as human beings in our evolution, this is the moment when we build and build and build and build and build on our lives. And it's all about us, what we want, what we desire, who we are, what we're doing. And then we realize at a certain point that it only gets us so far until we're willing to go a little deeper. And then we have a choice. We can either stay and what feels comfortable and looks really good and maybe might be fooling a lot of people. Or we can step out of the chariot and start to walk. And the fool will call on us every, and I love the, I mean, the chariot's beautiful and it's a pure energy in and of itself. We're just talking about the esoteric idea here. Like if you get the chariot, don't worry about like, oh God, I'm like in a cradle of my own, ego. like It's not like that in a reading, but we're thinking about it again from a larger perspective. Like Chariot um, is a moment in life when we have to make a choice as to what looks good or what's actually serving our growth. And in order to make that choice, it will lead us down a line two path. If not, we'll just keep going and it'll be fine. But we won't get very far. And if we hit the slightest bump, the chariot will most likely fall apart or it will bust up a tire or something like that. So um, that's line one. This is lifeline. This is where it starts. This is where we transition from this idea of I am, I am to something greater. And some people go further and some people don't. So when we think about where we are in line one, again, we're asking the questions I posed before, but we want to tune in with that. And the way we can do that is just simply by collecting these seven cards alone. And by dropping in, you can, by the way, take this exercise and do it. This is why I'm presenting it. You can drop in with these seven cards and just say to yourself, where am I right now in this? Who am I learning to embody? What am I embodying? What idea am I embodying? I did this the other day with a student and pulled the Empress. So I, as I reflected before, like Venus and Scorpio, like I'm feeling it. So it really made sense to me and um, was a really important invitation for me to keep embodying that idea, to keep focusing on what feels nurturing and sensual to me and to feed that. It's very powerful. That's where I am in what I'm birthing right now, in what I'm growing, and where I am in this stage of my development. So hopefully that makes sense. And then we move into line two, hopefully. And line two 
is the death line. This is the line that contains within it the contraction of the ego, which was all line one, and the birth from that death of a soul-centered life. We start that in temperance. We begin, we get our first taste of it. Um, this is the death line. This is the ego death line. This is the line when we move from like summer to fall. We're kind of in this flow right now. And then line three is the crest of winter to spring. So we're kind of transitioning out. Things drop, things fall. Line two moves from justice slash strength to uh, temperance. This is the line of deep internal journeys of really major questions. This is the line that tests our spirit that will absolutely make us think we have no fucking clue what we're doing in this life anymore. Line one is so different. This is how you know which line you're in. If you're in line one, you know everything that's going on. You're clear, and that, it's true, we do. We're clear, we're concise, like life makes sense. This We know where we're going. Line two is when nothing makes sense and we have no clue what's going on. Everything feels like it's in a different language. That's when we know we're in a death cycle. So the life cycle happens when we are reborn, we're discovering ourselves almost like a baby. The death cycle starts when we begin to ask the mantra for the second line, who am I? So we go from I am to who am I? Who am I really? This is the line where we question everything about our identity, everything. This is the line where we go cellularly from ego to soul. And it's crushed, crunched out of us through all these cards and especially reaches a peak in hangman and then of course in death. So visually, if we look at the rider, completely different. We got women bending over to touch the heads of lions. We've got men who are hanging upside down. We have a giant wheel in the sky. <laughs> in fact, the only being in the rider weight that matches or kind of holds court with line one is justice, but that's largely on purpose um, because of the figure and what that card represents. But other than that, that's the only being on line two that's sitting in a way that looks um, like he's first. And in a way, there's stuff going on in the background of the Rider Waite card that really tells us that there's more going on than we, what we can see. But we have, for the first time, we have kind of a softer, we have a woman doing something. That's the one a really powerful thing in the strength card. We have an older man. We have an elder present in the card. We have a giant wheel. We have the angel of death. We have a hanging man upside down. So there are many different things that are happening with this, many different shapes that are being taken up by human beings. Discomfort, human discomfort is crucial for a death cycle. It's going to happen. Discomfort is a given. Contraction, this is what goes on in this card. When we contract, it's only squeezing us in order to facilitate a greater opening and a greater expansion. 
we forget that as human beings and we tense up even tighter, making it really hard for the expansion to happen. So line two really teaches us um, how to navigate these uh, death cycles with some grace, even though they are fucking hard, very difficult. So we're moving from being a little bit more homogenous to a bit more varied. And that does happen when you're in a death cycle too, by the way, life kind of changes. So the transformation in this line is profound. We literally die and are reborn in the last card. And in line three, we take that to the limit for sure. We, this is the line that um, our identity gets stripped and rebuilt really from the bone and root up. Um, we come through it really restructured. And line two is just the hardest on the ego. Um, you want to take care if you're going through a death cycle of your yourself right now to really um, be gentle, be really gentle because it's, it's no joke. Um, we learn kind of how to pause in this line. The hermit teaches us to pause. So in line one, we learned how to use our power in the magician. We learned how to drop in and listen to ourselves, trust ourselves in the high priestess. We learned how to connect with our inner mother, our inner father, our inner teacher in the hierophant. We learned how to engage with the outside world and receive love in the lovers. And we learned how to be a pillar of success in the chariot. In this line, we're going, I'm going to just use strength first, but we're learning how to trust our courage. We're learning how to face what scares us in strength. We're learning how to pause, walk a little slower, non-doing in the hermit. We learn our relationship to larger forces in the wheel of fortune. We see the results of our choices in justice. We move from justice to the hangman, where we're shown how to literally hang upside down, hang out in discomfort, literally sit there <laughs> and, and let ourselves be cracked open by being in a position that is particularly uncomfortable, choosing to stay. That choice to be in discomfort is part of what cracks us open and evolves us. And we literally experience a shedding in the death card ruled by Scorpio number 13, the sacred, the 13th step, literally the spiral step. Um, it's the card that changes everything. It's the card that moves us from the straight line to the spiral in the tarot. And it's the moment in our life cycle that completely opens us up to something more that if we hang out and we don't make choices is one of the most important things that's reflected in the tarot that's also true of life is that if we're in a death cycle, it's really wise not to make decisions, actually. Um, it's really important to be and to wait and to hang out. The decision-making time will come later, but when we're in a contraction, it's really important to hang out. From a death cycle, we can almost always, if we've really committed to it, expect an expansion and in intuition as well in what we're hearing and how deeply we can go. Um, intuition's very subtle. So the more we're willing to um, snakeskin style shed the ego, the louder we're able to hear it. 
the soul age age range of line two in terms of like human development is way less linear. Um, it's more of a transit feeling than it is a range of ages. So a couple of different examples that I've written about, uh, previously that really reflect the frequency of line two. think about, uh, a really intense Saturn return, uh, getting our first moon, moving into menopause, giving birth to a child, a quote, midlife crisis, any time in a great transition in life, we can be going from, in terms of, um, women, uh, from child to woman and from maid or, um, I'm sorry, from child to maiden, maiden to mother, mother to crone. Um, any time, uh, like labor, like literally and, and death, like losing somebody, any profoundly intense transition that we're just in it, it's just happening and we need, we're being called to surrender to it. That's a line two situation. And that is what it is to be in a death cycle. And this is why we ask, who am I? Because we don't know. We need the fool to take us from one energy to the next in this, uh, kind of ride that we're on with this energy. Because again, if, we're not evolving. It's really hard to move forward. I know for myself, I move through line two the slowest. Um, this is reflected often in the cards I pull, but it's also reflective of how it feels. <laughs> so I'll be in strength for a long time and then I'll move in and out of hermit and I will spend usually lots of time in wheel of fortune when I'm in a death cycle Justice will make many appearances. I'll see a lot of hangman, a lot of death. And uh, I'm lucky if I see temperance for a while. <laughs> but that's that's line two. And we really want to reflect on the remembering of that because I went through a really strong death cycle this year, earlier this year, um, which I later found out was exactly uh, the transition of Pluto being in retrograde, but that's another story, uh, where it hit my chart. And, um, I broke my foot, like all these different things happened. And, uh, the, the breaking of my foot was just a really important physical manifestation of what was going on in a larger sense for me. It was very difficult, very intense for all that I do and my tools. I was still very humbled by how difficult it was. <laughs> and many of my clients were echoing that as well. So that was from about April to, I want to say September that I went through that. So lasts a while. So the best thing that we can do is get a little comfortable in it. And to remember, it's not just our, us, our life, you know, not making sense anymore. It's a much larger stripping away. There's nothing wrong with death cycles. And the more we remember that, the more helpful it can be when we go through them. So with this line, we can collect our seven cards and really drop into these questions. What in my life is ready to die? Where am I being asked to surrender more deeply? What can I bow to and become quiet with to move into my inner kind of winter, my inner fall? Where am I being invited to pay attention to in terms of what is shedding itself from my life? Very important. And then we move into temperance, 
ruled by Sagittarius, very powerful card of rebirth. When we're in temperance, this is the beginning of a time when we're being blended literally as human beings and shifted and changed. And we have a greater connection and synthesis happening between us and divine who is in temperance holding us and helping us along the way. So with that being said, the transition out of that and into the devil, uh, if you know, um, if you're familiar with the idea of expansion and contraction, there's really no other way to do it because uh, whenever we're, you know, temperance is very expansive. So whenever we are in a temperance experience, um, personally dropping into a more gentle, slow, willing place in order to be tempered, changed, altered, literally alchemically by the universe, uh, there's going to be a drop into a contraction. There is going to be an invitation from the brain into some old bullshit. And not to say that the devil isn't a very valuable card. It actually, it is quite profoundly so, but we want to really remember, this is a narrative I see a lot in my clients. There is no straight line. Just because you're doing great, feeling good, feeling in the flow, feeling in alignment, and then all of a sudden you find yourself halfway through a bottle of wine, like texting some like asshole that you know is no good for you. That's kind of um, in a very uh, um, not so sacred sense, I guess, is the flow of temperance to the devil. It's also like human consciousness, <laughs> like moving from a wildly powerful, expansive, void-like soul expansion to the brain just, just trying to get a bit of safety here. This is why we do what we do. This is why if we diet or if we try to lose weight, we want cake. And this is often why if we force ourselves to eat very strategically, um, the body will swing itself back in the other direction because it finds neurologically just a lot of safety in these old ways. So it's really important to honor the transition from temperance to devil as being a really holy one. And the devil being here in line three is really important because this is the line of rebirth, the rebirthing of ourselves into completely different people. So this is the, I, I don't think it's, for me personally, I'd love to take a vote here. I, uh, I, I think line two is harder because once you're out of death, like the devil's hard, tower's hard, but like it's, you're in an advanced playing field and it's, you expect certain things. I think when I'm in line two, I, it's the question. It's the question, who am I? In line three, we're not asking those questions really. We sometimes do, but often we're not when we're thinking about it from a larger perspective. The rebirth line is tough and intense and we might not know what the fuck we're doing, but we get to clear up so much. And this is why we hit it in the devil first thing. This is the beginning of line three. This is the rebirth line. And the soul mantra for line three is, there is no I. So we start finally understanding no I here. We see this reflected in the images in the rider weight. It's all 
big planetary bodies. It's all non-humans. It's structures and archetypes like the devil. It's the only human being is they're two women. They're both naked. So the only human, everyone's naked in line three, actually. Um, the people in the devil are naked. The only people that are clothed are the two people flying out of the tower. And that changes very quickly. They go back to the garden very, very quickly, so to speak. So one of the most powerful things about this idea is this concept of there is no I. We're replacing human beings at the forefront with nature, with the breaking down of old structures, with the liberation from the idea that there's something wrong with us, that sin exists. It doesn't. So there's this idea right out of the gate, we've got to make our first pit stop at, stop at the devil because the underlying thing with the devil, <clears throat> say what you will about it, much has been said of it, um, the devil is not the addictive desire itself, it's not the desire, it's not the shadow, it's the belief that there's something wrong with us for feeling the desire. If you want to fuck somebody that for any reason is putting you in a devil way, like maybe you're feeling kind of judgmental about it, bad about it, maybe you want to destroy your marriage for it. Before we do it, before we fuck someone, let's work with how we feel about ourselves for wanting it. Let's start there. Because that's the beginning. If you pull the devil for wanting somebody, uh, you know, you could argue maybe that's about the energy of the other person. For me, I'm, I mean, I'm married, so it's a little different. But <laughs> if I pull the devil, um, it's for me, it's about, it's about what I'm believing about myself. It's about the boxes I'm putting myself into. It's about what I'm believing about how bad or good or right or wrong I am for a feeling or for a behavior, whatever it might be. And knowing that if I do make a decision that's maybe out of my alignment, that I then later look back on and think like, whoa, you know, I really felt like tempted to do that. And I did it. Now I see that I was kind of invited to do that because my brain was feeling a little scared and I wish I hadn't said yes. You can always recenter. And that's where we start with line three. And this is why this idea of there being no I, if there's no I, there's nothing to forgive. If there's no I, we immediately begin to drop into the idea that we're inherently worthy, we're inherently lovable, and we are inherently forgivable. We're already forgiven. It's the line of mastery and of personal rebirth. So what we have when we look at this card, or of this line, is we travel the farthest in this line. We go to some really dark places. We go to some light places. We go to many places. The particular medicine of line three and any kind of rebirth cycle is that we really learn uh, we can survive anything. And that's why we move through the tower. The tower clearing away anything that's not serving us anymore. This is why we learn the gentle, persistent, and constant movement in times of the tower that the next chapter that we're going to move through is the star. Always, always. If life hands us a fire, it's going to give us rain. So 
that doesn't necessarily mean everything happens for a reason. But if a forest is burned, eventually it's going to be cooled down with rain. So we learn that as humans too. We learn what it is to walk through the darkness of the moon and come out into the light of the sun. We learn in judgment what it is to realize that there's no other, that there can be an awakening into this place that all generations, all people are truly walking each other home, truly, even if they don't realize it. And the world moving through that, it's ruled by Saturn. This means that we have learned, gone through everything that we were meant to learn. And once we're through the world, we're going to go right back into the fool again, but a level higher, a level deeper, a level, a level more matured. So to make it out of line three is to have moved through an entire cycle of life, death, and life, to literally come through the entire spiral of change and move into a completely new spiral. Anything that is not serving us is completely gone. It will get burned or crushed away in line three. And by the way, um, this can be subtle as well. So I'll share that since I began to say yes to my uh, soul path and to do the work that I, um, like, whatever, agreed to do or whatever you want to call that, um, I can't get away really with doing certain things anymore, <laughs> even if I'm not aware of it. Um, you can call it protection, you can call it intervention, whatever it is, but this is this starts happening in line three as well, which is why we have cards like the devil and the tower and even the star, because I don't know about you, but I don't know a lot of people, even though we're all pretty committed to the soul path here listening to this. I don't know a lot of people are particularly good at saying yes to the star when it shows up. We have shit to do. We don't want to stop and like regenerate most of the time. But yet that's really important. And that's why this card is in line three and not line one, because it takes some fucking it takes major, major courage to drop into the star. Big time. Much, much easier, well, at least in the short term, to just not deal with it. Um what we're left with at the end of a rebirth cycle is a pure essence. We're finished, we're wiser, we understand more, um, gained from how we've walked in the three lines. Um, like line two, the soul age range of this line is super, super, super flexible. It's dependent on us being willing to wake up, line three. We do not get line three cards unless there is some deep, deep willingness happening, which is important to note. Um, line three comes up during moments, uh, lots of moments, um, an awakening process, an unexpected crisis, um, a moment when we choose to stay alive when we'd rather die, a moment when we say no to abuse, to a family legacy of abuse, to a family legacy that we no longer wish to uphold, um, an addiction, uh, when we release a job, when we let go of a relationship, um, when we choose actively to say no, um, when there's a part of us that wants to grow beyond 
the limitations just a little bit more than it wants to stay in the limitations. That's when we'll be dropped into line three. Um, and when we understand this, um, there doesn't have to be fear. We can really welcome the tower, knowing that the only reason the tower ever hurts is if we're egoically identified. That's it. It's just a stripping of the ego. It's not some random chaotic punishment. It just really is uh, stripping us of something that we were holding on to that we're not meant to anymore. Um, it's an absolutely crucial moment in our soul development. And this is what it is to be rebirthing, to move from where we were to where we're going and even beyond that. And again, if we're looking at there's no I, uh, we understand that we're part of a much larger thing than what we can even conceive of. And that's how we can begin to look at these three lines. So we can take our last set of seven and we can drop into it and really ask ourselves, like, what is ready to be rebirthed in my life? What am I ready to drop into? What is crucial, important, powerful for me to understand about where I'm going? What massively big and powerful energies are trying to work through me to make me, mold me, shape me into the vessel that I promised to be when I came here. And then, of course, again, we move right from the world back into the fool again. You know, it's just ever-present. Um, but the fool, you know, there's always choice with every card. We can always say no. Some people stop in temperance. You know, I'm going back to line two, but have you ever seen, like, um, like a guru uh, type of person who, like, never has a problem uh, or is always um, talking about kind of how they are enlightened or anyone who is particularly committed to looking like they're constantly going through a spiritual awakening. Um, that's someone who doesn't want to leave temperance and go into the devil. There ain't no judgment in this game. I'm just calling it like I see it. Um, that's cool. I know what it is to not want to leave temperance. It's totally fine. We cannot want to leave temperance just like we don't want to leave the chariot. <laughs> it's totally cool. But we're not going to see that. And by the way, not wanting to leave temperance is what warps the devil a little bit. Because when we, you know, when life comes in, with those invitations to the shadow. And if we're kind of beating the shadow away, the shadow gets more fierce and more intense and, you know, just creates more, um, you know, I don't know, just creates more mess to clean up, I suppose. But we don't really do this in the world because the world is just so lovely. Most of the time when we're in the world, people want to get the hell out of there and move into the next phase. So it's, um, we don't really find that. I don't think in line three. So life, death, life cycle, all of it a spiral, all of it moving from one thing to another. We're looking at three lines, but really it's just turns on the spiral, just like we're moving through a turn on the spiral right now in our hemispheres. We're moving into summer. We're moving into winter. We're at this crest, at this bridge right now. We are here 
moving through these crests and these bridges and these turns on the spiral every single moment, not even day, but moment in our lives, depending on what's here for us. That's why there's no mistakes, because if we're in line one right now, it doesn't mean that we're in some way less evolved. It just means that we're in line one right now. And that's perfect. As long as we're moving in line one and it's alignment and it's in alignment, that's perfect. You know, I know this lovely person who is um, recently kind of separated and as to, you know, his children and he, um, he and his ex are like in their line one in some way. They're sort of in a line three, right? maybe in a line two, but overall they're both doing quite well, very happy with this new phase in their life. This is line one, baby. Like if someone's been married for 20 years, they're out of a marriage, that's line one. And it doesn't mean it's bad. It means like we're literally discovering our identity through the lens of dating and, you know, walking through the world as being a solo person for a little while. That's perfect. Absolutely wonderful. So empowering. So it's not a problem, but in moments when we want to know kind of where we are on the most powerfully macrocosmic level, we can look at the butterfly who can either be in a caterpillar stage, a cocoon stage, or a butterfly stage. We can look at the three lines of the tarot. We can look at, in many ways, they are like caterpillar, cocoon, butterfly. This is very much very similar to that. How this all relates to the new moon in Scorpio, um, this is, uh, put quite simply, the moon, if you want to transform your life, this is the moon, period. We're planting seeds in new moons, so seeds don't sprout overnight, but this is an intention that we set that can be rooted in change from the root level, commitment to continuing our turn on the spiral, continuing to evolve as human beings, continuing to lean into change when the human part of us would rather stay still. So how this can relate is that um, something that I really like to do at moons like this and something that I probably will do at this new moon in Scorpio that might be a nice ritual is to look at um, your three lines right now, to spread them out in front of you, line one, line two, line three, um, and pull out, do a little ritual and drop in with what you're ready to commit to in each line and pulling a card for all three, reflecting on it, journaling about it. Another thing that you can do that um, might be really nice if you want to know which line you're in rather than where you are on all three lines is that you can just pull all of your majors out into one big pile, 22 of them, and include the fool in there and just shuffle them and really uh i just want everyone to know i'm sorry <laughs> um i i'm gonna go back to that shuffling them i just want everyone to know that i literally had to stop my recording because my husband has some kind of radio what is that radio called he has some kind Okay, he has a shortwave radio, and it just turned on by itself, just so everyone knows that. It is not plugged into anything, and I don't know what the fuck is going on, but there's no way that I wasn't going to tell everyone that I had to stop for that. So anyway, you can pick all of them up, and you can shuffle. It was 
absolutely terrifying. It was like ghost piano, but whatever. Um, this is the kind of music my husband listens to. Um, <clears throat> you can pick up your whole majors and you can just shuffle them and move into a space where you are opening up to the energy of new moon, the energy of Scorpio and asking your guides, asking yourself, pulling two cards and just saying, what in my life right now is ready to die in order for there to be room to be made for what wants to come through? And then you can pull a second card and just say, what is ready to be birthed from this? What seeds are going to lie dormant with my hard work and my diligence and my caretaking? What seeds will need my attention. What is the exchange here? Um, in the crest of this sacred new moon, in the crest of this sacred Scorpio time, where are we in the medicine here? And then you can pull two cards. And if you don't pull the death card, you can pull your death card out and just look at it and journal what comes to mind. And uh, I think it's simple along with your ritual that you may do, but a very powerful practice just to reflect. And I just want to say something to everyone. I uh, get this like 100% of the time, this question <laughs> with my students. Um, let's just say what you're leaving behind, what's ready to go is something that you deem or your ego deems as quote positive, like the empress, like the sun. It doesn't mean that you're the, it's a, the, the, we have to be willing to evolve beyond the brain's linear concept here with that. So if we're leaving the high priestess and moving into the tower or moving into the emperor, we get, we have to be willing, committed to release the ego because the ego will tell you you're moving from being in this divinely feminine, receptive, intuitive place to like, this bullish man. And that's bullshit. It's not true. Um, and I'm not saying that anyone is bullshit listening. I'm saying that your brains are bullshit <laughs> in that moment. Because what really, really what's going on is that we're moving from really deeply considering this space in high priestess of being more insular, more reflective, listening. Whereas an emperor, we're going to be invited to move into taking up our sacred space and maybe speaking out a bit more, maybe coming out into the world a bit more, but we're going to miss that medicine if we're looking at what's going out, what's coming in as a positive or a negative thing. We, it, there has to be, um, in order to deepen the tarot practice, there has to be a willingness to move beyond that. Um, and that's all I think I have for you today. So life, death, life cycle, really important. There's a beautiful teaching in women who run with the wolves about this in the back of the book in the last story called The Handmaiden's Tale. And uh, uh, Clarissa Pingola Estes describes the life, death, life cycle as the, oh my God, I better not fuck this up, but I think she describes it as the, um, the well, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let everyone look at it. <laughs> she describes it as the red, the black, and the white. She describes it in Spanish. Um, Rubedo, Negredo, Albedo, I believe. And the red 
is life. It's the start. It's the cutting. It's the start of the journey. It's blood. It's the flow. The black is the dark and the death time and the time when we don't know where we're going. Who am I? And albedo is the light, the clarity of seeing that there is no I. So no matter where we are, and especially for times like this when so much is happening that can suck us into the small scale, uh, it can be so powerful to scan out, really out. This is literally like seeing the earth from space. This is how far out we're going. But to see the majors in this sacred journey and to reflect at any moment that we might want to know where we are on that journey can be a deep gift, and I hope it helps. And I appreciate everyone hanging in there with me through my heat pipes clanking and no sirens tonight. Pretty quiet night. Um, and me having to randomly cut the podcast for my husband's creepy-ass shortwave radio. I bow to you. I thank you for being here. Uh, I have such a treat for everyone next week. I'm just so excited to share the interview with you. I, it's a big life. Um, it's a literal life milestone for me, this interview. So I'm so excited to share it. Um, I hope that this lesson served and I hope you enjoyed it. Let me know what you think. And I have one little, um, one little shout out. My amazing former student, Nicole Pivaroto, made an oracle deck and it's beautiful. She is an intuitive healer and a graphic designer and made a really, really, really cool deck called the Prism Oracle. I fucking love it. You will too. Um, I love her work. And so I knew that it would be great. And then I got my deck because her pre-orders just went out and it's like extra juicy, really beautiful. And you can get that at her website, which is Iris Iris, but the second Iris is spelled differently. So if you're interested in getting that deck, um, there will be uh, a link on the podcast and I get nothing for offering that, but um, I love my students and I love shouting them out and their work is great. And I love Nicole and I want everyone to feel really empowered. It's just such a great kind of modern, clean looking, beautiful deck. And she's so great. And um, this is a brand new thing for her. And uh, if you want to support like a brand new indie deck maker. This is a wonderful way to do it. And, uh, God, is that it? Uh, this is a little bit far. At, oh, there's two more things. I'm coming to LA this weekend. So if you're in LA and you'd like to take class from me, I'll be doing a class at women's space in, I think Culver city. Sorry if that's not where it is. And, uh, one at spirit house collective, and you can get all the details on that on my website. If they're not sold out, I'll be teaching Saturday and Sunday. And, uh, for anyone in New York, I am going to be doing a panel event, uh, called the fountain tarot creators in conversation with Lindsay Mack, uh, where myself and the three creators of the fountain tarot will be at space 98 in Williamsburg, which is the large urban outfitter space, talking tarot, talking practical magic. So if you like them, as everyone does, and you like me, uh, you may want to come out for that because I think it's going to be a pretty great night. And beyond that, I got nothing for you. So I hope that you have a beautiful week 
and an absolutely magnificent new moon in Scorpio. It's a real powerful one. So be gentle with yourselves. Be well. And I will see you next time. Bye-bye.